was one of the writers wrote about me and the editor was like a new editor and he's like I'm gonna put you in as one of like the top sexiest in Malaysia and I had one aunt just had like this throwaway phone and she just like vote all the time so I got <laughs> number one the views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast and this YouTube channel are solely the views of the individuals involved. It does not reflect the views of their organizations, employers, and employees, past, present, and future. Like this show? Then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast by creatives at work. It is produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Wincheong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. So dropping in all the way from KL into our virtual studio today is Sarah Lien. It's not very far to drop in from actually, but yes, how can we not speak to Sarah? Yep, she's an actress, she's an entrepreneur with a career that spans across Asia, North America for over two decades, right Sarah? And she's so many things. I'll let Sarah introduce herself a little bit later because I'm sure I left out... You know, a couple of things that you do, you wear so many hats, Sarah. Nice to have you here on our show today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> on my Instagram, it says, not your average one-trick pony. So it basically means I just don't do one thing. So uh, I guess the first question, as Yenning said, you have, you are clearly very multi-talented. What other talents are you hiding from us? <laughs> I've had the privilege of being able to mix all the different things I like and slowly form them into, you know, ideas, creative uh, creative endeavors, and all of that. So I think most people will know me as um, a TV host, uh, as an actress, um, a talent. Uh, I've also been running my company, Supergood, which is a boutique talent management company, and it's also a PR agency. Um, I've been doing that for the past 10 years. And more recently, Super Retreat, which is um, sort of like a wellness platform thing that I take people on retreats. <laughs> And on top of all of that, I heard you speak like five languages. <laughs> yeah, if you read my Wikipedia, that's what it says. <laughs> so, so is that true? In actual fact, I've studied, I would say, four or five languages, but I've actually only spoken English. Like, I've learned French when I was younger, and before I moved to Canada, I learned Malay. But now I know Malay through assimilation. My mother tongue is Hokkien. And uh, I studied Mandarin and I studied Japanese, but I've never really used them to that extent. I think with Mandarin stuff, like, you know, one-off project, they'll make me do that and I have to memorize like three lines, you know, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> I'm just curious as well, right? I mean, you do so many things and you've been practically, I think, all over the world in that sense as well. Uh, your career has taken you halfway across the world and back again. How did you start doing what you're doing right now? The first time I was ever on stage was when I was in, living in Hong Kong. I was a snowball and I believe I was uh, four years old. <laughs> My first competition was singing something like Folgers Coffee or something like that at a mall in Malaysia in, I think when I was like eight years old and then I got to win a tin and then the whole family got to drink coffee from my, you know, my boisterous uh, personality. Um, but really, I would say um, I started doing a lot of acting classes when I was maybe about nine, ten years old. 
And I did them because um, in Canada, you have a community, sort of like a course calendar for your community. So they'll let you know what's happening in this area or this high school. So you can learn Japanese cooking or baking on Thursdays. And so what I took was improv for kids. And um, from that, I learned a lot of improv stuff. So you're just playing games half the time, some, you know, and then for a season, maybe you'll do like some sort of like play um, so it was called the production company and I did that for five seasons. And so after that I had an agent and then I started doing more acting stuff. It, it was totally on my own. It wasn't, my mom would have never thought to send me that. And, and even the auditions, I would go to the auditions myself and everyone's there with their parents and what? it's just me sitting in the room trying to like pretend like I love this doll or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So you really, since young, you know, not only the passion to act, but it's also just, you know, you're a self-starter. You've always just gone out and just did whatever you wanted and just chased it. You did school in Canada, right? So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, if you found your old report cards, what were your teachers write about you? Oh, like talkative. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell my staff that I'm the annoying student that would always just raise their hand up. Like, I always had something to say. I always needed to answer a question. Uh, so, so was that like your vibe as well when you went to college? Actually, funny enough, it would be, I think my teachers, one of them called me a drinking bird. Do you know what a drinking bird is? No. What's Where it? they like, their head goes down all the time and they're drinking, right? Uh-huh. Like a drinking bird. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's because I would be sleeping. I'm either talking and if I'm not talking, I'm like sleeping. Like I'm not even awake <laughs> during my class. Yeah. Yeah, I was sleeping through like um, college, uh, university, uh, high school. Yeah, I slept a lot so, in my classes. So- a talkative Sarah is a good thing because that means she's awake. <laughs> if I'm not eating or talking or writing something down, I'm most likely sleeping. <laughs> so, so, so I guess that makes you a night bird for sure. Oh, like, for sure. All your yeah. life. I'm, I'm up like late at night. It's it's embarrassing. It's it's sad. <laughs> but was it because you were also pursuing? I mean, this was more or less a side career at the during school um, as well, right? Yeah. So when I did all this acting stuff. I did it just before I hit puberty and it was all fun. And then when you get to puberty, you're like this awkward, you're like not quite a kid, but you're not quite an adult. So I paused for a little bit. I did some like church plays and all that. Um, But I think the high school part is I had a part-time job and then I was on the volleyball team and then I was on student council. So I was just like that kind of person that was involved in so many different things and wanting to go out and you know at that time in Canada you know the internet was starting to boom people were starting to chat and all that and so I had like this internet persona when I was I think when I was 15 yeah when I was 15 so it was just like full on like that was already the beginning of Sarah Leanne. (laughs) So so, so what was your persona? When I say persona I just mean like um my 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 thing was called Lil Mui L-I-L-M-U-I that's so sometimes, like, in Canada, people refer to me as that. Um, and that was sort of, like, a name that I had used. And we, we there was a site called Asian Avenue. And Asian Avenue was anyone that was ethnically Asian would be on that site. And so it was really popular in Canada and the States because then you'd connect with people that were of Asian heritage. You would, like, check down all the you know, all the different like ethnicities you were or whatever it was. So it was good. Like, I connected with a lot of people. I met a lot of people from that. From there, you came back to Malaysia after college and and shortly after i heard you became fhm malaysia number one most wanted woman 
on the top of the list. I'm just going to date ourselves here because FHM is clearly out of print for a very long time. Uh, and so we have just established that we're all very, very old. <laughs> but, but what was it like to be like the, you know, like, oh, I'm back and on, like the number one on the list of like so many people. If I can be really honest now, since the magazine has gone out of circulation for multiple <laughs> years, and since it's been more than 14, 15 years since I got number one, it was kind of a strategic move on my part, actually, to 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 do that. Um, I, I was very lucky. Somebody was like, hey, I want to do a feature because um, I was technically in uh, American Pie. So I'd filmed the movie, but um, my, but my scene was cut. And so because oh, of that, nice. people didn't see me. But you see my name, you see my name in the credits, which is great because I still get residual. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Thanks. Because you still get money from something that, you know, people don't see. What happened was one of the writers wrote about me and the editor was like a new editor. And he's like, hey, I really, I really like your story. Um, I'm going to put you in as one of like the top sexiest in Malaysia. And so at that time, it was like if you SMS a vote, it would come in. And I had one aunt just had like this throwaway phone and she just like vote all the time so I got <laughs> number one because no one still knew me but I was thinking oh how am I gonna get to where I want to go I'm not gonna do pageantry I'm way too outspoken for that and then you know um all these tv shows and stuff like they don't know me yet so he was like keep voting you're like you're like almost number one and I'm like oh. so, uh, so yeah everybody was voting and then I got it and then that was kind of what I used to kind of propel my image and career to if if I can be honest yes and and of course that that led then to you running doing many things yeah I mean I know that your audience is about freelancers so you know it was just working as a freelancer ever since I graduated university um you know, aside from retail jobs, like I worked at Zara, I had to like fold clothes and sell, you know, I was working as a cashier selling clothes, suits to men, right? Um, it was definitely not what I thought I was going to do. Um, like, I mean, I had always enjoyed it. And to be honest, it was just always easy. Like, I'm like, because I worked at the mall, it was so easy to be like, hey, what brings you here today? Oh, are you checking out those jeans? Oh, can, can I get you that in a size, whatever? <laughs> like, I mean, it was just so easy for me to do that. As a freelancer, you know, what you end up finding is that there's nothing that really grounds you. So you can't right, take a loan, you can't buy a car, you know, unless you have your parents' help and, and things like that. So I needed to turn that into um, a business. And so I would, my company would pay me a salary and it would all kind of funnel through the company. So when you ask me to host and be like, how are you feeling today? Oh, are you enjoying the show? I mean, these kind of things end up being so natural to me. Um, so when I did it, it wasn't as like, oh my God, I'm like slaving away and I'm not getting any auditions. Like I kept on booking stuff. And my agent was like, what the heck is going on? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. It's working, right? And that's really how Supergood started. But of course, it wouldn't just be self-serving. I would be able to use that and help other people or help manage other people. So Henry Golding, so Henry's a friend of mine. So Henry and I started around the same time. And both of us were finding, like, trying to find, like, a footing. And, and so even though both of our... Uh, directions end up a little bit differently because he ended up going to Singapore to do work. I was in Hong Kong and then I went to Canada. We both were seen as like a meteoric rise. Like a lot of people would be like, I don't know where, then there's the Sarah Leanne or there's Henry or whatever it was. And so 
it was because like both of us were just so intentional about it. And so when I did that, I thought, okay, you know, I'm sure there's other people out there that are looking to carve a certain type of career. And if I can help them or if I can see a gap or I can see how I can help them and propel them forward, of course, taking a cut, then I'm going to do it. So that's kind of what I did. So that was that's how Supergood came in. Um, I'd been doing some programs in Canada and I wanted to still keep up with my press in Malaysia. So I hired a publicist and then she says, hey, you know, I'm also thinking of doing my own thing. Why don't we do it together? And so Supergood PR came about. Oh. And now we have, you know, we're a full-fledged PR agency and, you know, we've got like really great clients from hospitality to, to schools, like that kind of thing. And then you meet people and they're like, hey, I got another project. Like, let's work on something. I'm like, sure. So it kind of happened that way. I think what I thought I would be doing would be like working in a department store, managing a brand. Really? I because I studied fashion, right? I studied business and fashion. So uh, so that's why I thought like I have a bachelor of design. So I'm I'm a designer at one part too. So it's like that's not where I thought I was gonna head. I thought I was gonna be in some fashion business running, you know, maybe a creative side of things, but not necessarily like sewing and pattern making and any of that kind of stuff. So um so yeah, I was totally not headed in that direction at all. At all. Speaking of super good, here's a super good thing. Sponsorship and collaboration opportunities are available with the Onku Podcast. We are super excited and we'd love to tell you about it. So drop us an email at contact at creativesatwork.asia to find out more. It seems like in every country you've been to, like you went to Canada, you're like an immigrant freelancing. And then when you came back to Malaysia, you're back in Malaysia, but you're considered a Canadian girl who came back to freelance. So like again, you're an immigrant freelancing. So what advice actually will you give to, let's say, freelancers, who, let's say from Singapore who thought that maybe I want to go and try become uh, try the Malaysian industry like, as a freelancer or something uh, along that lines? Um, I think it's actually just knowing your audience, no matter where you're at, right? So I think when I'm in Canada, it's like knowing what's out there and how I can be of service. That's probably the most important thing. Um, you know, you could try to sell your services, but if nobody actually wants it, then then you can't, right? Like you need to know your audience. You need to know the market. And so... For me, it's like in Canada, what could I do? So before I was part of the union, I would take just random jobs. I would be like, oh, yeah, you want a talent? I'll be I'll shoot in your telco print ad. Right. Or I'll I'll be this fake host for your gimmick show. I, I did it, you know, or whatever it was like you have a short film. Sure. I'm going to shoot that as well. Like whatever would keep me busy. And then that would help grow my network. Not that what was based on money, but like when when it didn't really matter so much, right? So I think for me, when I was in when I was in Canada, I was a student, but I grow my network in Vancouver in the film industry, and then Toronto, and so now when my friends have quite clearly moved around or or hit some have hit success, some have left. Like you have this huge network, and so I think for me it was just understanding that understanding the audience, right? Uh, growing your network. Those two things, I would say, are huge, right? You never know where it's going to end up. And for me, it was like, even in Malaysia, I, I I interned here in my university days. So I interned at a TV station, and now my ex-boss is now my business partner, right? And he was heading up the creative for, the like, four television stations and, like, two radio stations, right? So it ended up working out, and then because of our network, then we start adding on value to everything that we do. So... Sometimes when I think of a freelancer, it feels like, oh my God, it's only me out there. But if you really think about it, you are a consultant, right? You are a consultant for your own services. 
and you are able to channel what you want to do with the things you want to do. You're not stuck at a job saying, oh my God, I don't do paperwork, right? Like, oh no, I'm the ideas guy. All I do is just come up with ideas or I'm, I'm the illustrator or I'm, I'm this portion of the machine. And you're a consultant. You have to look at it that way and you have to see where the market is, where the business is. So if somebody's from Singapore and they want to come to Malaysia, what's available, right? Because in Singapore, if I think about maybe the entertainment market, let's say the Chinese market is like huge, right? Your Malay market's like so tiny. But for us, the Malay market is like, oh my God, you're on TV3. And I'm like, huh? But but yeah, it's like the creme de la creme, right? That's why Aaron Aziz has come over to Malaysia and has such a beautiful career because there's just so much of it, right? You just have to know your you just have to know your market. I'm talking from a freelancer's point of view, right? If someone's listening to this right now and really wants to work with you as a freelancer, you know, how would you advise them to approach you? Or, you know, what what would you what are you looking for? If you're looking First for all, someone I'm new to freelancer, but <laughs> but if I was, how would I be working with a free? Like you mean a creative, a freelancer? Like let's say I'm gonna hire them for I don't know some sort of shoot or something. Yeah, I would like to see their work. Right, your portfolio is the first thing that people are gonna see. Right, if you are a creative freelancer, I, I'm assuming that's what it is. So you know, if you're an actor, actress, I don't care if you've been on you know, whatever TV or not, if you've done short films, cut a snippet. Let us see how you emote. Let us see how you react to things, right? I want to see range. If you're a director, I want to see your eye. I want to see how you put things together. I want to see your editing. If you are a photographer, I want to see why you tell these stories the way you tell your stories, right? The whole idea of storytelling is so important because that's how it allows us to connect with someone. If I tell you, Oh, uh, the Palestinians, once again, the Gaza Strip have been, uh, 13 women died. Like You're like, oh, that sucks. If I tell you the story of one of the 13 women and I tell you about what she has done in, with her life, you're going to be like, oh, <laughs> you know? And that's the power of storytelling. So I'm not say, telling that every freelancer should tell me their story, but I'm saying that when we have the opportunity you get on Behance, you get on Instagram, you get on whatever cult creative in Malaysia is like huge right now. You show people what you do. Someone's going to find you. There was this, I'll give you an example. There was this girl, um, I forgot her name. I think it's like some Chinese name, but she creates these miniature things. So she creates oh, like yes, little I love those. Posts, yeah. Right? She's <laughs> just like, you just see her do it. Yeah, she works with like Ryan Reynolds. And then my yeah, yeah, business yeah. partner um, has a production house and he's like, oh yeah, we're hiring her for this one job. Like, who knew someone creating these miniature like toys or whatever, like, like, little scenes. tables and little shells. And then she has like a little like egg and then she's like, fry. whatever yeah, yeah. it is, who would think to hire someone like that? But when you are so in line and so ingrained in what you do and you tell this story of how you got started, people are going to resonate with that. And that is that is your moneymaker. That is your star. Like that is you. You are the star. If you're going to try to be, oh, I'm trying to be like this actor or this director or whatever, you're always going to be number two. Okay. So when this is why I don't worry about competition. Of course, I'm like, oh, she's so pretty or oh, she's so, you know, I have my insecurities, but I'm not worried about competing with someone because I know what I have and if someone is trying to steal or create a career out of me I'm like hey I brought the torch this far feel free to take it further this is how we look at it you got to look at it as a collective you can't look at it as like oh why you take my torch 
You know what I mean? You have to look like I, I did this. I, I created my career. I built all of this so that someone one day can say, I studied exactly what you did. And now I'm going to go even further. Go run. Yeah, like take it, run with it, right? I'll take it. I'm. I feel like I'm part of your journey then too. Thanks. I didn't even know I was part of your journey. Yeah, I love what you're saying. You're basically pivoting to your using your strengths. You know, as a freelancer, I think a lot of a lot of even for myself, you know, I find myself stuck in that rut sometimes where I feel like "Mm, I should focus. You know, so many people talk about doing one thing and doing it very well, Um, but you know, you you reminded. It's just that it's that beauty of freelancing where you have that freedom to move however you want to and, you know, just go with the flow. And sometimes that's a good thing where it can take you to bigger places as well. And speaking of bigger places, I really want to find out more about this super retreat that you mentioned, right? Which is, tell us more about it. It's woman empowerment. It's a self-love go out there and enjoy yourself and show your beauty yeah what is it all about maybe let me ask you what were you drawn to when you first read about it or heard about it when i first heard about it i I think it's that woman self-love self-empowerment part of it i did read about it very briefly but that's what i'm hearing about a lot nowadays and how a woman can love uh, oneself and I think it's also to me it's interesting because I don't know whether you you see it that way but at least from the outside looking in as a celebrity and a personality it's to a certain level about looks and that you know when it comes to a woman and her looks that's usually the thing that causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of self-doubt to happen and for you as someone who has that as one of a major factor in your career, please correct me if I'm wrong, right? It's just very curious to me, you know, because I feel if anyone would have faced the most doubt, it would be someone like you because you're in the spotlight all the time, you know. Um, you, you are judged on your looks all the time. You're judged on who you are and that's where I'm, what I'm curious about, you know how it then led to going to self-love and then having a whole retreat. And I don't know what happens in a retreat. I haven't I haven't seen a program, but I saw the raving reviews about it as well. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I think we're all going to resonate to different types of things. And, you know, um, of course, being in the entertainment industry is a blessing and a curse. There's there's a lot of preconceived notions when people meet you that that your life must be like this, and it's and what I will always realize is that they're just projections of what their life would be if they if they were in your shoes. You know what I mean? And 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 what they can handle, what they can't handle, and so that's what you pick up on, right? And we all just pick up on different types of things. So. Super Retreat was, it really started out as a company retreat because my company's called Super Good. (laughs) Nothing brilliant, (laughs) nothing creative, just let's call it Super Retreat. Um, And we just thought, what would it be like if we took other people on this retreat? What would it look like if people had a chance to reset and renew and feel refreshed, right? And then we thought maybe there might be an opportunity to maybe think about who are these people that want to go on retreat? What do they need? What kind of journey have they been on 
What kind of journey can we take them on? How can they feel after they leave our retreat? Right. So Super Retreat was really about how do we create this safe space where people can actually feel safe enough to feel, right? It was it was like how how can they feel connected to themselves? Because at the end of the day, we all know who we are. But when you start layering all the different expectations and pressures and then cultural stuff and then conditioning, it's like you kind of lose who you are because you're just operating in this being that that is doing everything for everyone, right? Your role as a father, your role as a girlfriend, your role as an employee, freelancer, what have you. So I think when you keep on playing these roles, you kind of lose a sense of who you are. And we're just here to sort of ask you the right questions, right? Because we believe that everyone's light is in them. We believe that the light is there. And so my little you know, tagline is ignite the fire within is because there is something in there and I'm here to help you ignite it because the moment that fire is lit, like you are going to be able to see it in other people, right? We always say hurt people hurt other people. Well, heal people heal people. You know, we, we can recognize that in, in other people and it's like you don't keep it for yourself. It's like this, this light that is like beaming and, and this fire that is like smoking like you start affecting all the people that you meet your your closest friends your partners your um your your all the kind of relationships your family your work your communities and that's what i want to do right i want people to feel empowered right and so we always say oh female empowerment ah so good you know but it's like what does that actually mean is that you actually feel that you have the power to do something and so when it comes to self love for me, it's been such a beautiful journey because I, you know, I, I was, I got out of a toxic relationship, um, what I deemed as toxic. I realized that, oh my God, I'm just the kind of person that just wants to like love everyone and, and like give all my love to other people and then, you know, and, and wait for them to give it back to me. But what happens is that you just have to wait for other people. Like, like you're on at the call, right? And so when you are able to create the love that you're seeking from yourself. You don't really need another person. Of course, we want connection, partnership. I'm not saying like, you know, be a lonely monk, right? But but cultivating that self-love, that deep self-love allows you to negate all these other things that exist. But at the same time, you're able to really just hone in on, you know, what you what you believe in, what you love and just stay stay true to that, right? And that's, that's alignment, you know? So... I've, I've been doing a lot of these workshops on different aspects of self-love, self-trust, self-honesty, uh, self-compassion, um, self-expression, self-pleasure. You know, there's just so many different topics under self-love that we can explore. And, and a lot of it is just, just a way to just question, you know, um, and get deeper to ourselves. Hey, and I forgot to tell you guys about the Goddess and the Warrior Retreat presented by Super Retreat. It is an inclusive and integrative three-day, two-night retreat for both men and women, singers or couples, to embark on a healing journey with a theme of leading and loving. This wellness retreat is a holistic approach to the body, mind and soul, focusing on the individual and transformation that happens from within. This weekend getaway takes place from the 25th to the 27th of November at the Hutan Retreat, Nigiri, Simbilan, Malaysia. This sounds pretty cool to me and if it does sound cool to you too, find out more or sign up at superretreat.com. That's S-U-P-P-A-R-E-T-R-E-A-T dot com. First off, 
your retreat, your company retreat must have been amazing. And I think <laughs> it is entirely different from what other people's, other companies' retreats must yeah. have been. <laughs> You know, when you say company retreat, right? You know, I've been on... I I mean, I haven't been in a lot of companies uh, where they practice company retreats as well, right? No. I've been but freelancer yeah, for freelancers. most of the time. Yeah, uh, that's the downside of freelancing. Yeah. You don't get to go anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> but the once or twice that I've been, it is... The retreat is basically... It's a work meeting somewhere that's not in Singapore. That's it. Right? That's a reason for you to have meetings three days straight, basically. They're like, oh, they just paid for us to wear regular clothes, but still go on the meetings. Yeah. <laughs> At the poolside, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're at the pool. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I have to say as well, listening to whatever you just said, Sarah, it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, it's a, a lot of men, uh, no, behavior, uh, mental health, self-love kind of things to touch on. But these are actually very these are actually soft skills that's very hard to teach. Even to really, really smart people, it's really, really very hard to teach. So how, how do you go about teaching that? And, oh, and you feel through that? it. You, you feel, feel through, through it. it. Yeah. Okay. Like I mean, I think like it's very visceral, you know? You don't it's not like, oh, so I do step one, step two, and then step three, th- then this is what I get. Uh no, that doesn't mean that. <laughs> you know? Your so accent yeah, just so, came out and I was like a bit shocked. Yeah. Like who's it? <laughs> You know, that's my like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, so you have like a uh, a local accent for that. But um, no, I, I think it's, you really feel through it. You feel through it. Like the guys and the women, the men and the women that come to my events, they're in like a really bad place, right? Sometimes it's something that will snap you out of that autopilot zone, right? So it's like a death, some sort of grief, some sort of breakup. Uh, maybe you left your job, some sort of change that you're just like, I don't know what's going on. Like a lot of women that come, maybe they're like new mothers and they're just like, I thought I wanted this and now I just want sleep, you know? And and so, yeah, it just kind of like rocks them to the core and they're just kind of like, hold on a second. Why have I been feeling, this is everything I wanted, but why do I feel so empty? Like what? I thought I wanted this, right? That's why we have so many of these child stars or like super, like people that shoot to superstardom and they can't actually just um, gather who they are. Like they kind of get lost in it or they get caught up and then they, you know, you find out they're in some rehab facility, right? Um, So you feel through it. You feel through it. You connect with yourself and you start learning right? You start learning about yourself. Because honestly speaking, you go to a teacher, a teacher cannot teach you about your life. Only you will know your life. So a lot of this stuff is you are the cause and you are the cure, you know? But unless you're willing to be open to the uncomfortable feeling of maybe saying like, oh, Sarah, you are like a gold digger. No, I'm not. How dare you call me a gold digger? See, I've got... But Maybe I am, but why am I so angry that someone has said that, right? Like maybe there's something there, you know? So maybe there's something within your shadow that you don't want people to see and that you've been trying to hide. So a lot of this stuff, when I say feel through it, sometimes it sounds woo-woo. It's not even. It's actually just having a conversation, just having a space 
to just say, actually, I've been really scared of acknowledging that I'm actually this kind of person or I'm led by fear. I do all these things because I'm so worried. I'm not going to have enough money. I'm not going to be able to feed my kids. I'm not going to be able to do this. Or I'm doing freelancing because I'm, you know, and I need to succeed because I need to show my mom or else she's going to make me go do that law school or I will have to sit at the dinner table having to explain for the rest of my life that why I want to do what I want to do. But I do this because it feels good. And how can I stand up to that? How can I have my voice out? But some people aren't even in that stage to be able to say that, right? And so it's like, you feel through this stuff. It's, it's, it's everything is connected, you know? When sometimes when people really work through a lot of pain, a lot of like deep healing work, they'll notice, oh my God, my back is like not painful anymore. I used to have this like weird back thing. It happens all the time. And I'm not saying I do anything, you know, we just honestly facilitate the space so that whoever comes does not feel attacked because we're asking everyone the fact that you feel attacked mean there's means there's something there right so ling if i say oh ling you are this um you've got blue hair and you've got you know uh brown skin and you're like no i'm not it doesn't bother you right but if i say something else and it does you got to ask yourself actually why does that bother me if i'm th- if that's not who i am like, why, why should I care? Right? Yeah, so you start to be more sensitive. And I don't mean sensitive, like, crying at everything. But, like, you start to be more sensitive, like... Aware. What is, yeah, yeah. The awareness comes up. Like, what is actually coming up here? Like, why am I feeling resentful? Why am I actually kind of like, why did she say that? Is it because I wanted to say something and she said it, but I felt like I couldn't? Is that where the resentfulness is coming from? Or because she's saying something that I believe is untrue and unfair. You know, so you start to really ask these questions and you start to create this space. And through that, it's like the observation. You're like, oh my goodness, this is what it is. So for me, maybe it was like dating patterns or the the way I treat people or why I feel like, oh, I need to be nice to everyone. Is it because I'm actually genuinely nice or am I people pleasing? I want them to like me, right? So it's like all these kind of things that you go through that you learn um, in different ways and you come out feeling a little bit more confident in anything that you do. So it's just really addressing a lot of issues that, I mean, I think some people might even know some of the issues, but they've just never Already faced know. it hate on. Yeah. It's also knowing what's valuable to you, I guess, and knowing yourself what's valuable to you. And I think if we go what's valuable, we all know, you know, family, friends, that's valuable. Uh, being loved uh, by those who want to love you, that's valuable. Happiness, that's absolutely invaluable, at least to me. We need to also know when we're taking risks to harm these things. I think that's, that's very valuable as well, and when to stop. Uh, but, that, and when, and, but that one is actually the, the challenge, right? When do we stop taking risks to harm all these things that's, very, uh, that's going to you know, uh, risk our, all these valuable things to us? And basically, the, the whole idea of knowing when we have enough. When actually do we have enough? Here, what's your take on that? Sir? Like when, when does someone actually have enough to none in, in their, you know? When you're living in abundance. You know, when we talk about, we were talking about thinking about psychology of money, I always really just think about the abundance and the scarcity mindset. There's just two different ways of looking at things and, it, and it's got nothing to do with the actual numbers that you have. It's the feeling, like you said, you know, Sean, feeling of having enough. And to me, I grew up in a household where we have not enough money. Uh, you know, not enough time. Oh, uh, we have not enough this, not enough that. Like, I, I just grew up with that. And so I'm just like, no, we need to save. Oh, we cannot spend money. Like, so you're just scrooging because you feel like you don't have enough. So even if my mom has X amount of money in her bank account, and she does, 
oh, no, cannot, cannot. Just in case I, you know, like she, she will still get into that mode where she doesn't have enough. But for me, I focused on a couple things this year. One was abundance and one was detachment, right? So the abundance factor was really just seeing that everything I want is within reach. Everything I believe is actually within reach. It's just a matter of how it's going to come to me and where it's going to come to me. But to me, abundance is everywhere. So if I'm in a spirit of giving, I feel like that matches a certain vibration that allows more things to come into my life. And I have seen it. I've seen my company expand and we're only in not even hitting September yet. And we're already like 80, 90% of our target, you know, and we're, we haven't even hit, you know, and, and so I realized it was from my expansion that allowed a lot of my talents to start growing because I was like, oh, no, no, not enough money. We, we shouldn't do this. Or we should be more like this. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm being, you know, reckless, but I'm looking at it like, no, this is actually an investment. This is going to make us more money. I'm not even going to question this. It's just a matter of like what fits within our budget, right? And so it, are you enough? It's like if you feel like you're not enough, then you, you will always be chasing that not enoughness. And that's the kind of energy that you keep bringing. But if you feel like everything is already there and I can't even imagine what else is coming into my life. Wow. Like it just keeps, I'm like, wow, I didn't expect this person to pay me that much. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is great. <laughs> you know, everything is a freaking blessing. You know what I mean? So that's how I feel about things right now. And I think when you come from a place of lack, that's actually, that's, that's really what we're working with, right? You're, you're coming from not enough, oh, not enough this, not enough that, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not quite there. And so you always feel like, like you're, you're less than. And here I'm trying to say, start looking at you're already full. You're already full. And that anything that comes in is always just like bonus and amazing. And, and, and when you start vibrating at that level, that's what you're going to keep attracting. And so when you're like, oh, you know, like down and out and you're comparing yourself, you're a freelancer, you're like, oh, how come she got all the jobs? I don't know why she's, no, no, no. Don't, don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you have. That's abundance. I have the privilege of doing what I want and not being stuck in an office with other people that I don't want to talk to because I don't oh, like working yeah. with anyone else. That is, yeah, you got to start looking at that. You got to start thinking, oh, what can I offer? Oh my God, I offer advice all the time. That is abundance. Abundance doesn't have to be money. It can be advice. It can be gifts, right? The fact that I get to like, you know, my birthday, I wanted to celebrate with this sort of like a refugee daycare school kind of thing. And I said, I just wanted to celebrate my birthday with a bunch of kids, bought them four, four different flavored cakes, got them all chicken, uh, Korean, Korean fried chicken. And I was like, let's eat. That's to me is abundance. Like I get to That's share true. my birthday with them. And it, I'm not saying it has to be a gesture where you have to give money all the time, even knowing like, Hey, I've got, you know what, you know, what's a good um, abundance uh, gift, writing people's LinkedIn recommendations. That's a gift. Imagine you go on LinkedIn and you're like, she's the best person I've ever worked on, like ever worked with or whatever. That is a gift. That is abundance, right? That is you giving. That is you giving in your spirit the way you want to. That is abundance. And so when you're worried about, oh, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Look at what you have. And then think about how am I going to amplify this? How are people going to know who I am, what I do, what my skill set is? I'm going to continue giving. I'm going to continue showing up, porting the industry that I'm in, in any way, shape or form. And people are going to like feel that. 
you know? That's how you start. I guess that, that sums up Sarlian's psychology of money as well. <laughs> uh, from a, but, but, but from a business point of view, though, I mean, if you, if you were to put on the cap of you know, the, the business, uh, an entrepreneur that having done before the businesses that you do, uh, we're curious to know then, does that psychology of money change for you? Oh, it doesn't. It really doesn't. So you like, run the I, business the same way? I, I run the business in the same way that, listen, like I'm in my lane. I know what I can offer and I know what I can do for you. If you are looking for something with a lower rate and a cheaper thing, by all means, here are some companies that I think you should work with and they're amazing, right? If I was working as an individual like Sarah Leanne trying to sell her MC services or whatever, I'd be like, you know, if it didn't work with me or didn't align with me, I'd be like, here are some other MCs. They are equally as amazing, if not better. I think she would actually be better fit. Go for it. What does that take off me? What does that mean? It means that I care about the people I work with, my colleagues, my esteemed, you know, um, peers. It shows that I am not scared or worried or competitive about my business because I already know what I can do. If you want to work with me, you want to work with someone that's transparent, someone that um, is professional, someone that will work with you in the right manner. Yeah, let's talk. If you just want to like chop up kind of job, go for it. Go go with someone else. And that's totally fine. I mean, that's your decision. I'm not here to take anything personal. Yeah, it's, it's not just about personal. It's not just about... Um... I guess how you look at it, right? The client, there are all kinds of clients and there are also all kinds of service providers. If someone wants to come to you and they only have X amount of budget and it's like, mm, okay, maybe it's not for me. You know, like what you said, you might want to consider some other, you know, um, some other colleagues out there or some other peers out there. But it's not, it's, it's, I think the attitude where, uh, in facing such a situation as well it's not about being bitter about like how come my clients all come to me with such low budgets or like how come all these kind of attitudes but it is really about you know like like what you say it's just not for me because I know what I have to offer and perhaps you no know, we are not a right fit at this point of time yeah Absolutely. And and it's just, it really is communicating, right? And, you know, before I take a client on, it's like having a chat to make sure that we are aligned. It's like, actually, this is kind of how we work with. We, we do this, we do that. We also have boundaries in terms of you can't contact me at this time or whatever and just think I'm going to do it, right? I mean, you, you, you have very clear communication um, channels that go both ways. And, and then you say, is this a right fit for me or right fit for you? And if it's not, I'm willing to wait around. Luckily, I'm in this stage in my life. I understand that if you're desperate, you're like, I'm going to take whatever job. I don't care if it's not aligned. Right? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. That's right. Like, just that's give me fine. The that is also alignment because that's what you're looking for, right? Yeah. But, but once you get to a different stage and you're like, actually, I can wait a bit. <laughs> I can wait for the right... I can wait for the right guy or I can start doing things so that the right guy is going to come like the right, sorry, not right guy, but like right company or right client is going to be attracted to me. So when I first started the business, it was like, oh, how do we go out there to message um, these companies to let them know about our services, right? Like, how do I, how do I do that? And, and trying to get my staff to make sure you send them out and, and all of that. And now I don't do anything like, I mean, I do things, but, um, but <laughs> You know, it's like but they come to you. 
they start coming because what have we done? We've created brands that are so transcendent that are across platforms, across mediums. And people are like, no, we heard what you do. We believe in what you do. And it's like, yeah, this is our hard work. We create it so that that what we do is is seen in a way that is going to start attracting brands. So even if I'm like, yeah, it's fine. We don't need to do this anymore. You know, another brand will come in and hi. Yeah, actually, we'll pay you that much. Like, yeah. Great. Right. That's right. It'll happen. So- and, and on the note of alignment, I think you've clearly aligned uh, yourself, your business, since you say you got hit 90% already by September. You've aligned yourself in this new normal after the drama the last two years. I, I think you went, uh, well, clearly events and uh, retreats are going to be very hard, badly hit, and yet you pulled it through, right? So how did you actually manage to do to pivot to that, given the nature of you know how badly hit? I'm sure I'm sure it was very badly hit in yeah, Malaysia as well. Yeah, the past two years, yeah. 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 So, I mean, so how do you survive? Thankfully, our Malaysian government, surprisingly, was able to pull in wage subsidies. So that really helped me. Um, freelancers, I feel so my heart goes out to them. You know, at some point you're selling cakes and at some point I can't buy everybody's cake. 2020 was a little bit tough. I was really, um, 2019, I already started to shave my team and start to shave my roster down, like to pare it down. Uh, something was more manageable. Who would have known would have foreseen this global pandemic that would hit in 2020. So 2020, my revenue was quite low. But as I mentioned earlier, because I had built transcendent brands, like, you know, I, I represent um, three other talents. And so one's in sustainability, one's fitness, and one's parenting, essentially. And we just found a way that allowed people to connect with them more. Like my sustainability girl, she did like 10 talks on sustainability, on Zoom, you know what I mean? Like she ended up being so hot that like 2021, it was like, wow, who knew this was gonna be our best year ever for everyone, it was everyone's best year. It was like, how did we manage this while we're in the second year of the pandemic, you know? And it's really building brands based on like your your values, right? Like we know who we are, we know what we will do, we know what we won't do. And so the more we start, championing the things we love and people starting to see that come through the easier it was for brands to say hey actually i want to work with you or i really like how you look at this Um, i really want to partner with you how can we do this right so with my parenting person rachel love her so much um her instagram i think is not even ten thousand. okay it's not even very high right but we had we were working with love bonito we were working with uh, Lazada, we're working with Lego, we're working with Barbie. I mean, these are huge brands, but because they see the way she does it, and they're like, we want to be a part of this. So it's not even about the numbers anymore, right? So that we were able to transcend all of these quantitative facts that we use ourselves to define who we are and what our brands are, but we allowed the value and the truth of and the alignment of each person or each brand to come through. And that's what people wanted to participate with. We're done, right? You can buy numbers. I can buy, you know, a hundred thousand and then be like, oh, Sarah's got a hundred thousand followers. You know, I can buy that. It's fine. You know, like we could do that. If you want numbers, sure, I'll, I'll get numbers. But when you follow me or, I mean, with social media, you get to know who I am. You get to know my sense of humor. You get to know how I like looking good and how I don't look good all the time. It, and it's like, that's who I am. And that's my brand, right? And it's like, if you want someone that's, you know, highly curated, you're going to go somewhere else. So I think it was just creating these brands that were so solid, that like, yeah, we're going to dump X amount, few more thousand, you know, five figures on you just to like do this campaign. Great, let's do it. 
No, I, I keep telling people when it comes to storytelling, of course, we all, everybody knows 1 plus 1 equals to 2, right? That, that's a fact, and that's very reasonable. But when I tell you that 1 plus 1 equals to 3, that is where the story really is, right? Because everyone really wants to know, because the sum of the whole is always greater than the parts. And that's really the kind of, and, and, that's, and so I always like to, well, as a storyteller, I like to find where's the 3 in the story, because everybody knows 1 plus 1 is 2. There's no arguments there, but then why am I telling you that then? <laughs> that was the point. So, and of course, everything you just said, I'm so very curious to know as well, because super, uh, your super retreat in particular, uh, how, if you can't do any retreats, how do you survive the last two years? Oh my God, 2020, I did 75 workshops online. 75? That's one, that's one every four days. If you were to break it up to three, if you break it up to weekday. Okay, how I mean, do you we, do that? We did it from like, obviously from March to maybe like early December. Wow. Yeah. And, and some, some days I would have two a day and because it's just me and I was like, okay, the cost is this zoom account, right? This license every month, but I'm super retreat. So I need to be there. So I was there at every single one. The only one I wasn't was cause I was emceeing another event that, you know, when but, things but how do you retreat in a zoom room? It's the space, it's the container, it is how people feel, not where they're at, not physically where they're at. When you feel safe enough to be able to share, when you see someone that is like, if I suddenly just start crying, it's going to totally change the tone of this conversation. And when people emote and you can under, you can feel, like you can feel people's energy. I can feel all of you guys' energy. I don't need to like touch any energy, but... But when you can feel how hard it was for that person to even acknowledge that part of themselves, you look at them in reverence. It is, it is, you are in awe. So when we create these safe spaces and, it, and it, everything that we do is really an invitation. It is really for you to like, am I willing to push myself a little bit more? And so when we do that, oh my God, it's, it's, it's amazing. Right. And so even if it was online, people just felt so connected because you felt so disconnected with the world. Mm, you're like yeah. at home all the time or, you know, your husband or your wife. And then it's like everything you're like, I just need a little corner. Right. So you come check in with us for two hours and maybe it's like a breath work exercise and someone's going to teach you and explain to you all the different levels of breath work and for you to like challenge channel this kind of stuff. Everything I do is to empower you is to equip you to be more you. I'm not here to I'm not here to bring coaches so that you'd be like, wow, this is an amazing coach. I want to be with this coach all the time. No, we're not creating any idolatry in this, you know? Um, it's really so that you can be the best version of you. And it's not a cliche term, you know. I think we people go through so much stuff, people going through divorces, breakups, all this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, company change. This one girl said, because of your online courses, she's like, I totally turned my company. I realized I didn't want to do that. And now she builds this amazing startup. She's getting funding. She's got all these, like, connections with all these um creative schools like it's phenomenal and she's like sarah that was from you i was like it's not from me okay that's from you (laughs) so 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 she took your torch yeah yeah but but it was it wasn't even i mean of course the coach was there but the coach all my coaches are there to facilitate your experience we facilitate this experience but you are guiding yourself and the more you're willing to open up yourself to say what could be what's been holding me back that's when you start to really move because you're like, huh, you realize that was like, 
what I've been upset about the whole time, you know? That's what happened. And was this the point as well where, because Super Retreat used to be women-only retreats. So was this the point where you opened it up to men as well? Because you mentioned that there are men coming and so on. So because it's virtual, it opened up to men. So, so how, how, how does this business work actually? I mean, now that you open it up to men as well, does it work the same way or different? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or in, what, in what way? I mean, I think, I think with women, it was just really harping on sisterhood because I think with the male patriarchy, the patriarchy systems that keep us competitive and combative and all this kind of stuff, there can only be one woman in the top. Like that stuff is all like, let's not even get there. So it was really about the power of sisterhood that, that you would be with another woman and, and know that's that understanding or have that sense of like trust and love. Right. Because when a man comes in, it's like, Oh, like suddenly like the energy is a little bit different. Um, but I think whatever we're trying to teach is actually universal. And what I've realized and I, and I hope it's not really, you know, a surprise is that, society has encouraged men not to emote, right? We always say, you're a boy, don't cry, right? I mean, if you've ever, Sean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, if that's ever, if that's, you know, something ever you've ever heard, to you. right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, hey, don't cry. Boys and girls will cry. And then suddenly, you, as men, you realize, actually, there's not much emotional range that I have. I'm just angry or sad or silent. And, it, and it's exploring all of these things, but because you've, men or boys have been stunted from that and you, and that's something you're like okay yep yeah, no i'm not supposed to feel it okay never mind uh, sorry I, I don't know what you're doing oh you're crying okay i'm just gonna stand here like like that's what happens right that happens with a lot of guys i mean am i you know i'm i hope i'm not uh no 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 i, I, I can totally imagine what you're saying like oh yeah right yeah, like, <laughs> like, 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 like images actually flash through my head yeah, like, like, people images. actually flash through my head right like, we've experienced that and you know what like, why are we upset at men for not being able to emote when we've told them from the beginning that they can't cry? And I'm not saying crying is the worst thing, but it's the suppression of your emotion that is the most difficult thing. And then you get used to it. And then that's all you know. And so when it comes up and when you are confronted with that from a relational uh, aspect, perspective, you're like, uh, I don't know what to do. Oh, uh, okay. Like, you know, like you don't know what to do. And then whatever your partner is probably like, Oh my God, I'm crying. Why are you not saying <laughs> all this kind of stuff? Right. It sounds like, so now it sounds like, yeah, I, I, mean, I want to turn off my camera now because it's like, you said the energy is different. It's a guy who, get the image of my head. I can totally imagine that. And I, so now the events are back. It's no longer virtual. You're going to start having men in the, in the events as well. And I can so imagine. <laughs> now like, change topic. Uh, yes. Back <laughs> to men in events. Yes. Men will be invited to my event. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it's a bunch of, uh, so it's like men coming to your events uh, uh, and then you're t- getting coached. No, it's like it's getting coached uh, uh, about all these things. It's like the word that comes to my mind is like reverse man's planning. Like, <laughs> it's like, reverse mansplaining or something it's, like it's, it's, it's not it's not at all it's not like, at actually, all what, what is your take actually on, on like you know on, on that actually like mansplaining yeah like like totally i think it became such a big thing right in the last few years and uh, along with like the b2 movements and so on and, and, and what are your takes on all these like you know yeah, how, how is it evolved mean, into that um what was it who is the jewish actor that like used to be really fat and then lost a lot of weight um he was 
in Don't Look Up. He was in um, with um, Wolf of Wall Street. What's his name? He's not Seth Rogen, but like the younger guy, but he's like the Jewish. He's like a fat kid. He was in. Okay, who was in Wolf of Wall Street? Um, Matthew McConaughey was in Wolf of Wall Street, but I don't think he's Jewish. Uh, Jonah no, Hill. Uh, Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. So Jonah Hill like lost a lot of weight and he wrote on his Instagram like, you know, I'm just taking a break because I really can't stand how media even talks about my size. And then we're all like, uh, women have been facing that for like ever since. Like, welcome to the conversation. But suddenly his, you know, his statement was like profound and it was like put on, you know, Hollywood Reporter. And we're just like, uh, and women don't get that on a daily basis. Like suddenly you've lost weight and now you have all this attention and you don't like it. Well, listen, this is what it is. So mansplaining feels like you're saying the exact same thing, but suddenly now people are going to listen to you because you're a guy. That's what mansplaining is to me. And it's it's annoying because then you're like, let me, you know, like once the guy gives the idea, oh, yeah, it's a great idea, right? I mean, that's generally what it is. I don't know if I've experienced that. Maybe my ex-boyfriend was a really big, like, mansplainer. <laughs> that was the reason why he's my ex. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I think when, when it comes to the super retreat and, and, you know, just knowing what we do, it is universal. Like, I don't feel that a woman should be more entitled to it than a man. I just think that more women are more likely to join these kind of things and, and feel not um, judged for it than men. Cause men are like, Oh, we're going to do that. You're going to go there and cry. And then what, you know? And it's just like, yeah, yeah. well, I'm just going to get in touch with my feelings. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's you're like, all right, <laughs> you know, what else do you want to do? Because truth be, on, uh, truth be told, like a lot of guys, when they hang out, of course, I mean, there's obviously exceptions that I'm not here to speak on behalf of men, but you're going through something. Your best friend says, let's go grab a beer. You go grab a beer. They try to talk to you about something about something that's not related to get your mind off it. And then you go back home and then you're still in that mess and you have nowhere to go. And then you just continue this. And then it like was never solved. Okay. Going out for beers with guys was never solved. Okay. Maybe you go to a KTV bar or maybe you go, you know, get, get, get something going on there, but it hasn't changed anything. You haven't transmuted that pain into anything. You've just kind of like, okay, let's go there. Oh, new shiny object. Sure. Let's work with that. Yeah. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Right. So this, this work is really just like opening it up to like, okay. And so when it comes back again, it's not a repeat. It's not a repeat of this pattern. You're like, oh, I recognize this. Oh, wow, this is oddly familiar. But now that I am in this other place in my life, I can decide to go this other route. That's what we do. And it's and it's not just about relationships. It's about the way we relate to anything and especially to ourselves, right? The kindness that you want to throw to yourself, the compassion that you want to throw to yourself. How you do anything is how you do everything, right? And it, it's, it seeps into every facet of your life. That, that one thing that just might be bothering you and you might not even know it as well right yeah I just love how you're sharing how and this is not only for the retreat mind you the retreat you have said it went from a company retreat to something like a you know a sisterhood retreat and now it's just universal altogether and I think that is again not only just for retreats for your whole life and your whole career as well yeah. it seems that it has been all the way from four years old when you first was a snowball 
To what What's you the motivation of a snowball? I don't know. All I know <laughs> is I, What's I the mo- this thing and I've got this like like little outfit and I run across <laughs> while I'm That's dancing. Like- I don't know. You know, it's like that was my first performance in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's so amazing that the growth that you have just, um, you know, shared with us and it's what you're sharing is not just what you can go through, it's what... I can go through is what Sean can go through is what anybody can go through if they want to. So well, we do have this one question which we ask all of our guests, right? If there were any one time where you felt uncool, right, the most uncool you ever were, what would you say to yourself back then? If I was really uncool, oh, you'll grow out of it. <laughs> You're the coolest person ever. <laughs> when were you most uncool actually, like, Folding jeans at Sala or something. I was pretty cool then too. Oh. Um, <laughs> You're always cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Um, I would say I think that awkward age, um, like that puberty age, it was just really awkward. It was just trying to find who I was and becoming a woman, you know, and I was not like Brittany says, I'm not a girl, but not yet a woman, right? So, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of in that space and just trying to know my body as well and just understand my body. You know, these things aren't talked about. And then, and then your family's like, oh, shame, shame. And you're like, great. Okay. Well, I, no one's still oh, I hate it. to me. I hate it. <laughs> <Is> that <bigger? laughs> Shame, shame. Right. So, Time to go on the retreat then. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not only for girls as well, you know, for small little boys as well. I don't have kids, but you know, when it's, it's said to my nephews and knees and like kids around me, I don't. Why are you instilling that into into Yeah, and it's not a shame, right? Like I I got these deck of cards and they're like really, they're like question cards. So it's like good, it's like cards against humanity, but it's in a very like introspective way. So it'd be like, when's the last time you told a lie? Or what would you, you know, what's what's the last thing you've read? Or whatever. And so with these cards, there's also these other cards that are in there. And a pink triangle means it's a sex related card. So if you're playing this with coworkers or whatever, like the, the rule is take out these pink triangles. So um, my cousin brought back these cards from the States and then she's got like two daughters. Uh, I think they're like six and eight or something like that. And she's like, they're like, I want to play. I was like, great. And then she's like, oh, this one's got S-E-X on it. Ew, right? And I was like, it's not you. She's like, yes, it is. I said, no, you're just not ready for that yet, you know, to have a conversation about that. But it's a beautiful thing. And it's just to allow people to actually enjoy it, right? That's why there's such a disconnect when people, you know, when they get into it and they're like, I don't know, I'm supposed to enjoy it. But then you feel shameful, right? Because of all these things that people have told you because from young, shame, shame, right? So it's like everyone has like all this conditioning that I feel like needs to sort of dissipate. So you actually find what you're comfortable with, right? I'm not saying you have to have sex with like 10 people and then now you're free. No, if you don't want to have sex with 10 people, don't have sex with 10 people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no one's asking you, but be comfortable in your own body. And I think that that was why that was so awkward for me. I, no one walked me through that. My sister was older, but I had no idea about anything. You know, I just watched TV, but that's clearly not real. Yes. <laughs> and of course, you were the, uh, the drinking bird as well. So. Yeah. Was like, <laughs> so many things happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so everything you do is really niche, right? Everything because your your businesses are very niche, or your it's all about brand, niche branding and so on. Um, what advice will you give for entrepreneurs if they wish to you know participate and start up their own niche businesses as well? Uh, like you've done. I don't know. I guess I, it's the first time you said that I'm niche. I don't know if I, I see mean, it. I still yeah, see it. Okay. I, mean, I would say it's very. It's very, I guess it's niche, especially like, you know, wellness retreats in the way that you've branded it and so on. That That is quite niche in itself. I guess if you've yeah. always found your own niche in whatever you, you're doing, right? You yeah, found that own maybe space. that's good. I think that's a good way to look at it. You know, I just want to let whoever's listening know that my career was an evolution. It was an evolution of me. And your business is going to be the same. Whatever it is, I think you just have to be able to sleep at night worrying about this business or this entity or this endeavor and think about could I actually care about this for like five years you know if you don't have an exit plan like could I could I actually do this for five years and and it's been 10 years and when my talents think of an idea and they share it with me I'm like so excited I was like oh my god let's ideate this let's make this happen let's see who we can get involved like I get so excited and I know that's why I still do what I do right and I think if you're doing it for, oh, I heard NFTs are really big or blockchain is this and that. Sure. If you can wake up and sleep and talk about blockchain all the time, all the power to you, right? If you feel like NFTs are the next thing, if you feel like Web 3.0 or whatever it is, go for it. So I feel like that is that is the essence, right? Like I... I'm true to who I am. I'm so proud of everything that I've built. I'm so proud of the relationships that I've created, the network that I've grown, because they're all extensions of who I am. I've never had to question that. I think my mom was very worried. You know, she's like, oh no, if you're in the entertainment business, you're most likely going to have to sleep with someone. And I was like, oh, oh my that God, right? That would really suck, you know? And I'm so glad that I haven't. Like, I'm just like, yes, I still won because I didn't have to do any of that. So on that, it's funny you mentioned about NFTs and blockchains and so on, because I'm, I think no doubt this is going to be like uh, a new territory uh, for any business, whether it may be entertainment or uh, well, entertainment included. Um, so how do you see this impacting actually the future of the, the kind of industries that you are in, like uh, these, these new technologies? Um, we've already seen it, right? So it's the acceleration of business. Um, I think the people that understand how it works and have benefited from it. So this has already shifted things. We're seeing so many like young billionaires, people that have created businesses out of nowhere. And I'm not here to say that it's good or bad, but it's definitely changed a lot of stuff. And it's definitely something that we need to look at, right? And And I think as as an entrepreneur or someone that has built a business for the longest time, it, I, it, it would be a disservice if I didn't investigate a little bit more about what that was or see how that affected my company, you know? So, um, so a, a super good uh, NFT coming your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't know what that would look like, but yeah, perhaps. I'm in a point in my life where it's like a surrender and surrender in the way that like, anything could happen. I'm not here to dictate what is what I'm supposed to do. I just know that I have found a sense of purpose in allowing people to just giving them a space for them to really feel and to really be themselves and find the freedom within themselves. Um, I love that about my job. I love about I love like the clients that I work with. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to like uproot and move to a different country. I have no idea. But right now I'm just really enjoying where I'm at. Um, 
I'm in such a great place in my life and I've never been in any better place. Uh, and, and you know, if it, if it's acting projects, if it's, uh, hosting jobs, whatever, let's do it. If, if I can make it work, I'm going to make it work. And I think that's just my attitude with life right now. So are you more of an actor host, wellness host, a wellness coach? What exactly do you see yourself more of that? I haven't acted in a little while. Um, I had some producers come and talk to me about, you know, some films and stuff, but nothing has materialized. So yeah, I, I think I'm still everything. It's just when it comes out, right? Like when, when I choose to show that part of me or when I choose to um, access that skill set. I think more recently it's been coaching. I think because that's just something that I'm trying to build and something that I'm trying to grow and, you know, just encourage the language around it. Um, so it's great to have brands like sort of engage me and say, can you do sound healing for us? <laughs> for us? You know, just an activity, just sort of an experiential. What is sound healing? It's using the my crystal bowls. You basically use instruments. Oh, that to one where you, you yeah, go. To help channel that, a frequency yeah. um, that vibrates with your body and allows your body to heal, right? So through sound healing and the sound waves, it starts to entrain with your brain waves and get you into, you know, deep like deep sleep. Uh, on, on that note, I sound, if you hear weird sounds, it's not coming from Sarah, it's coming from a dog who has just walked dog. right into the frame. So now, yeah, Sarah did suddenly start making weird, weird sounds. <laughs> just, just, uh, for our weird audio snuffles, listeners, snuffling. Yeah, log into YouTube and have a look. If you haven't checked out our YouTube, you can check it out. You can see that dog. Yeah, so if you're on, just on Spotify, no, no, Sarah didn't turn into a dog. She just wants to be involved. I think, Sean, this is what this is the direction that Anku should be going into, having more dogs on our show. <laughs> if our listeners wanted to follow you and follow Supergood, and, uh, what, where can they do that? You can follow me on my Instagram. I'm Sarah Leanne. I've got my website, sarahleanne.com, and my uh, website, superretreat.com, S-U-P-P-A, retreat. And, of course, I am Sarah Leanne is one word, yeah? Yes. Uh, okay, and of course, uh, now that travel is back, uh, late travel is back generally, and uh, well, in Malaysia, the MCU is off as well. Uh, so how can our listeners join in in a super retreat if they want to? Yeah, just go on to the website and just see what offerings we have. If we've got a re- weekend retreat coming up or if we have something online, feel free to join. And if you want to hear from our other guests coming up with our new episodes or catch up on our old episodes, do remember to drop us a like and remember to click follow on our podcast. Of course, also drop us a five-star rating. Absolutely no worries doing that because it's cool to be uncool. Like this show? Then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast by creatives at work. It is produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Wen-Chong and co-hosted by Yen Ling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. On the next episode of Uncool... So wisely, very knowledgeably tell us, how haunted is Singapore? I would say in the olden days, perhaps yes. But then again, uh, where do you draw the night whether it's haunted or not, you know? A clean place can be haunted. Next week on Uncool, it's our special Halloween edition coming on Saturday.